Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Bonus Years Podcast, where we talk about how to find hope in the hard. I'm Brooke, and I'm your host. Let's get started. So originally, they thought that my best chance would be a living donor. Um, So I I have a biological brother, and he is a carrier of my disease, but he is not affected. And so he got tested. My parents got tested. We had friends get tested. Um, And every time someone would make it to the final stage. And then for whatever reason, they would get rejected. So this happened four times. And I would know. I would know they're like at the hospital in the final stage because I knew these people. And every time there'd be like one little thing that would disqualify these people from being my donor. That's so devastating. So I was listed for transplant and officially put on the deceased donor list, like actively listed in 2019, the beginning of 2019. And I didn't get my transplant until, no, 2018, I was officially listed. And then I didn't get my transplant until 2020. So I was on the wait list for it was almost two years by the time I actually got my liver. Meanwhile, I'm just like, you know, pack up and going to the hospital every two weeks. It's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. Um, and they were just like watching my numbers slowly decline. And so they would be like sent right to my specialist. And she would just watch them every time mm-hmm. go down a little bit. And it wasn't enough that like, you know, this is you were, you were too stable. I was too stable. <laughs> I mean, well, never said that before. <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, I'm not getting a liver. And I'm just like, this is great. Like. Time of my life over here. Yeah. Um. So in beginning of 2020, my brother had gone through all the testing, and it was decided that he was probably going to be a match. So they booked my surgery to do a living donor transplant. Um. My husband and I backed up. We moved to a specialist center hospital um we -hmm. we rented a little apartment right across from the transplant center and they said oh expect to be here for you know you'll be in the hospital maybe about five days ten days and then stay in the city and all the things so on the morning of august 14th my brother and i both went into surgery and through a very scary change of events um Things definitely did not go as planned. My brother's surgery was very, very complicated. Um, mm. And he, so he was able to get part of his liver, but as soon as they put it in my body, it started to rot. They, so I basically had like a rotted organ. Holy cow. <laughs> and obviously they couldn't take his other liver because he needed it, his the other yep. part of his liver. And they're like, we don't know what to do with this girl. Um, so they took me back to the ICU and told everybody that without uh, another transplant, I would not make it. So I was placed number one priority in all of Canada for for a liver. Uh, my brother and I were both in the ICU, and um, my poor parents. Your poor parents. They would run oh. back and forth because we were across the hall from each other. They would go back and forth between his room and my room. And um, one of us was always in critical condition. So they would take shifts and hang out with us. And 
they tried a reconstructive surgery on me. So this was my second surgery. This was, I think, 24 hours-ish after my first surgery. I was sedated this whole time and on a lot of painkillers and things to try to make my liver work, which it wasn't. Were you on a breathing tube at that point? Yeah. So I was fully intubated and I also caught a lug infection. So of course, of course, of course I did. So here I was intubated (laughs) with a lung infection and I had this really high fever, but they couldn't get it to come down because they couldn't give me Tylenol or anything because of my liver that was rotting. Um, So they would like pack me with ice and things to try to get my body temperature down. And I was listed as number one in Canada and the doctors told my family just to wait and hope for an organ to come. Um, And they don't usually list you as that status here unless they think you have less than a week left. That was me. That was number one. Yeah. We're number one. Number one. Yay. (laughs) Mine wasn't all of Canada, though. It was just my region. True. Yeah. I was all of the country. So you're so amazing. I know. I'm so special. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then on August 17th. In, so you you went in on the 14th? I went in on the 14th okay. for what I thought would be a living donor transplant. On the 17th, they called and they said they had a liver in Toronto, which is completely across the country from where we are. At that point, they didn't tell. My family was in Toronto. They just said we, from another province we have a liver. So my liver was packed and brought in a little helicopter and flown to my hospital. Just like you see on TV, right? It literally was just like that. And they brought me into the operating room, like before the liver even landed or whatever. By this point, my, so the liver that I had for my brother was completely gone and it had rotted to the point that it was also rotting my intestines. So they ended up removing a portion of my intestines they removed my gallbladder and a couple other things. And then they kind of did like patchwork to put my liver, this new liver, into my body. So they attached it. It's actually attached to my intestines and like looped around. And somehow they managed to put that in there. Wow. Um, and then they sent me back to the ICU with this new liver. And they're like, here you go. Um I was still sedated at this point and because of the extreme trauma that my body had gone through and then I had this infection and then uh, I had had three major surgeries in like 72 hours, I would not wake up. So I think you just needed some more rest. I probably did. I was exhausted. It's a lot of hard work. And so they like scan me and they're like we don't know why she's not awake like she needs to come off the ventilator at this point it's more harmful for her to be on the ventilator than it is like she needs to come off it's worse for her lungs and all this stuff yeah uh, but I was stubborn like I am in every other phase of my life and I did not want to come off the ventilator um at this point my brother was still in the hospital also having reactions to his pain meds where he coded and (laughs) stopped breathing and um so my mother was back and forth between two of her children that were dying when she went in with two functional 
mostly functional children. <laughs> um, and so I stayed in the ICU completely sedated on a ventilator for three weeks, I think. Wow. Um, and then I woke up and I spent five days awake on the ventilator before they were actually able to take it out. Were you somewhat sedated when you were awake? They tried to keep me sedated, but because of, I now had a liver that worked, I was burning through everything so fast. So they would try to give me whatever sedation they thought I needed to stay relatively relaxed. And it did nothing. Uh, So I have a lot of memories of being awake in the ICU and on the ventilator and you're panicking because you can't breathe and there's a tube down your throat. I tried to pull mine out because I woke up too soon. I was handcuffed to the bed, so I couldn't pull mine out. I got the handcuffs later. Uh, Well, the the nice, you know, comfy padded ones. I I just got like green, like the tubes that they tie around your arm for blood work. I got green ones that like tied my hands to the bed. It was not enjoyable. Sounds terrible. (laughs) And then they had to give me like these special boots because I would get... The the massage boots? No, I got so mad. I would throw my heels against the bed until they bled and cracked it's not funny but it kind of is everyone else thought it was funny you would so do that (laughs) yeah and I was so not having it to like smash my feet against the bed and I put these boots on my feet and um I couldn't talk so apparently I don't know sign language but I was trying to communicate in sign language to my husband and my mom that were there and I was so mad that they could not understand me (laughs) (laughs) and um I had a bunch of hallucinations and that was just an all of our good time because I had spent so much time on sedation and payments by the time they transferred me to the transplant floor I was a full-blown drug addict yep um so I spent almost a week I think on the transplant floor I'd expected for a five to ten day hospital stay and there I was a month later, um, so they had me on the transplant floor trying to learn how to eat, trying to learn how to walk. I had never really eaten anything in my life before that point, and I had no idea what it was like to be hungry. I, it's still something that blows my mind, but at the time, I'm like, why do I have to eat? To like, I was not having any of it, and I was yeah. still on drugs, so no one could really nothing they said made any difference to me. And so it would be like, if you have two bites of this yogurt, you can get a treat. And that's what they got me to eat was, (laughs) and it would increase. It's like, okay, if you finish your yogurt cup today and then tomorrow you finish your yogurt cup and you have one drink of this protein drink. Um, and I had no idea what anything tasted like. So they gave me this protein drink and I was drinking like, this is really good chocolate. And my husband's like, this isn't, this isn't chocolate. Like, I I had no idea what anything was. Uh, so that would make a really fun like reality TV show. We started like people recording. Who have never eaten. We recorded a lot of the things that I tried for the first time, and people found it so amusing to watch because you would post them to like my Facebook group or like my Instagram or whatever. Yeah, and people found it so amusing to watch as I tried things that. I'd never tried before because it was things like you would think everybody has had. Uh, So we moved to our apartment that was across the street. And I was back at the hospital pretty much every day, every second day. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I had a very, very large incision because I'd had three surgeries. So, um, and because I had so much fluid out of my body, it kept draining constantly. So we would get my, all my bandages changed like multiple times a day, which then hurt because they were pulling on raw cut open skin. And so I had my little old lady walker that I would use to get to my labs every morning. And, um, they forced me to do physio. So the end of October, I think right before Halloween, um, they're like, yep, she's stable. She can go home. So so scary though. It is. So they basically just like, my husband was in control of all my meds and all my things because he's the organized one and I'm not. If you hand me a paper, I will lose it. <laughs> he, so he organized all of my things and they handed them all this stuff. And then I said, here you go. Take your wife home now. And I could not be left alone at all during that point because I still needed all of my meds and I was on so many drugs and still in withdrawal that I could not be trusted to do it myself. Wow. Um, so I came home and luckily my parents live right next door to us. So they were over quite a bit helping me with my meds and Cody didn't go back to work right away. He stayed home for quite a while taking care of me and we would drive at first it was twice a week when we got home that we would drive to half an hour to our hospital for blood work and then it was once a week and so we would drive a half hour this was like all my excursion that I did yep and we did that and like my late my levels still weren't stable um I ended up back in the hospital in December I was home for not very long and then I ended up back in the hospital with cholangitis um, <laughs> in December. So we were home for, I think, the longest stretch we stayed home between being here and driving to the transplant center five hours away was a week. But wow. At least once a week, we would drive five hours and because they can't do any of my scans or anything here because we're rural, middle of nowhere, Canada. Yeah. Um, the one time we were home for less than 48 hours before we had to turn around and go back. Um, so, and it's funny how normal that can feel. Oh yeah. Like I remember when I had more time between doctor appointments, I was like afraid I was dying and we didn't know it yet. Yeah. You know, cause you're just so used to looking at results and getting inst- almost instant feedback when you're critical like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so my labs never really came back normal and I had cholangitis and then they sent me home on all of these meds and they would just kind of monitor things. And it's like, well, she's doing okay, but it's like not great. And so recently I, about a month, no, it's more, I'm not in the right year anymore. In 2021, um, in, so in 2021, I ended up just recently going back to the hospital uh, because essentially my body is too tiny for my liver um, and my bile duct. It is. Yeah. And my bile duct like was closed and not letting the bile flow, which because it was attached to my intestines caused a bunch of that issue. So November of 2021 was my last surgery where they went into uh, reopen 
my bile duct. And that is my transplant story up until this day. And now we're in 2022. And now we're in 2022. What a survivor you are. It was a lot. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's a tremendous amount of things to go through. And oh man, if I had it my way, I would have like your entire family sit in a circle and I'd come to Canada and we would all talk about the things that you were all feeling that you didn't know about. Yes. It's like, I'm 16 years post-transplant now, almost 17. That's crazy. And we're just now like between my parents and my sister discovering like, here's how I felt when this was happening. Yeah. Because we didn't talk. We were in survival mode. There was so much trauma. And we've had, we've had a year's to have therapy now. And (laughs) it's like really cool to come back and go, oh my gosh, I had no idea you felt that way. I I had no idea you thought I was going to die at this point. If you're like me, coffee every day. Okay. Maybe more like twice or three times a day sustains you and gives you superpowers. And as a chronically ill person, I don't always remember to order coffee or pick it up from the store until it's all gone. It's the vicious cycle of, I need to buy coffee, but I need coffee to remember to buy the coffee. At our house, we order from Frontline Coffee Company, roasted right here in the Pacific Northwest and shipped straight to your door, wherever you are. The best part is you can get a subscription and check buying coffee off your to-do list forever. With this partnership, a portion of the proceeds will go to support the mission of bringing hope to the hard for those of us with chronic conditions. Go to FrontlineCoffeeCo.com and use the bonus years at checkout for 20% off. We will do this again because I really want, I want to hear more about like, I think we've gotten as transplant patients really good at telling our story, like with Mm -hmm. the important details. Um, But what we're not as good at is talking about our actual feelings throughout the process and how we healed. Um, And so part of what the bonus years is about is helping people with chronic illness realize their mental health is super important. Mm-hmm. And no, no, yeah. nobody told me that before no. my transplant. No one told me either. They're just like, here you go. Here's all the things to take care of your physical body. Mm-hmm. Let alone you've been traumatized right. severely, but you know, you can handle it. You're fine. Yep. So we will, we will definitely record something along those lines. Um, yes. This is going to be so exciting. I hope we help a lot of people by sharing our stories. And I know, yeah. I know you're in Canada and one day we'll get to hang out in person. Yes. I'm so, so excited. Fun. Yes. Just wait till summer when it's warm because we've had like minus 40 weather here. So that's disgusting. And six feet of snow. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Just wait. <laughs> thank you so much, Alicia. We'll have you back thank soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening today. We're always so glad you're here. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a quick moment to subscribe, rate, and comment. Because we share good things with our friends, pass along this episode to someone you thought of today. As always, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Bonus Years and on our website, www.thebonusyearsblog.com. 